family man, when his incessant prowlings began to worry even his closest male friends. Where other attitudes are concerned, say in the thought that this 1932 graduate of Princeton probably learned to read by memorizing the letters off the label of his bib overalls, we have unwittingly reflected an old MGM publicity slant where Ivy was never supposed to flourish near innocence. But beyond such oversights are blinded perspectives explained less easily, where what might be folksy, shy, respectful, or trustworthy about Stuart personally has been projected into a broader cultural context that some of us might yearn to believe, but that many more of us mainly perceive as some comfortably removed relic of a quaint past. Either way, Stuart himself remains out of focus. Take a wider view of Stuart's most parodied characteristic, his speech, specifically the notion that he has found speaking an arduous process, that his every syllable in front of a camera was produced by tapping his brain with a mallet. Once again, he has been the first to abet this impression through, among other things, his praise over the years for Hitchcock, Ford, George Stevens, and others as being visual directors, for never hesitating to discard reams of dialogue if that was what was required to make a picture work. The fact of the matter, of course, is that however visual they might have been, these directors helped to make Stuart the most voluble actor in American screen history. Nobody has ever been more deaf to John Wayne's fabled advice to a rising actor to talk low, talk slow, and don't say too fucking much. Where a Wayne grimaced, a Gary Cooper squinted, and a Clark Gable scowled, Stuart launched into a page-long monologue. Cary Grant considered it professional self-protection to have his character's exposition speeches broken up and reassigned to other actors, so that his character would be free to dominate scenes through silent reaction shots. No such insecurity for Stuart. From Mr. Smith Goes to Washington to Anatomy of a Murder, from The Shop Around the Corner to Shenandoah, from Harvey to his Hawkins television series, Stuart has talked and talked and talked. He has talked off-screen, too, and while it has been convenient for some admirers to slough off his glacially conservative opinions on the state of the nation and the human race as inevitable given his age, economic status, and military background, and expedient for others to embrace those views as imperative ingredients of patriotism, there has been nothing in the least abstract or bromidically idealistic about many of his pronouncements. More than fifteen years after the House Un-American Activities Committee had finished its worst work in Hollywood, Stewart could still tell an interviewer that communists were holding sway in the motion picture industry. Even before his stepson was killed in Vietnam, he could denounce anti-war protesters as traitors. The civil rights struggles might have happened on another planet, and to judge from some of his comments, he might have preferred it if they had. At one time or another, he has described television, long hair, and Jimmy Carter as undermining the American social fabric. At the very least, in other words, Stewart has felt less than responsible to the twenty-four-hour-a-day benevolent geniality the image-mongers have laden him with. The development of Jimmy Stewart just being Jimmy Stewart has also taken place on a whirligig of ironies and contradictions. The mid-century studios that he always has admired for their organization and what he termed their passion for movie-making, for instance, didn't have the faintest idea for years about how to market Stewart and it ultimately fell to contracted directors and two actresses, rather than moguls, who like to think of themselves as star-makers, to give him his footing as a screen personality. It was his closest friend, Henry Fonda, who continually called into question the sophisticated labor behind his craft with the backhanded compliment that he was simply a natural actor, an assertion that Stewart resented more deeply every time he read it. 
His genuine aversion to speaking about, let alone exploiting, his war record for career ends reinforced traits of aloofness and secretiveness that would figure prominently in his subsequent and best work, but never really become part of the accepted persona of the endearing yet quietly righteous, purposeful Stuart. And while that persona might have been built up over a couple of generations of motion pictures and attendant print and radio publicity, it owed its final solidification to the television medium that he always distrusted— to appearances with Jack Benny and on variety shows, to a flop of a comedy series, and to the Hawkins mysteries that were only marginally more successful. Even those too young to understand or care about images gratifying to their parents registered the image of a self-lampooning Stuart that channel-surfing washed into their bedrooms. In the end, however, no matter how they have been nurtured and consolidated over the years— no matter how many presidents of the United States thought of him as a son and how many actresses fantasized about him as a father, the very...